Are you guys excited to be here tonight? Sweet, I am too. I am, uh, I'm really excited uh, because I believe, I really do believe with my whole heart that God is going to speak to every single one of us tonight. Do you guys believe that too, that the God of the universe is going to speak to you tonight? You guys believe that? Sweet, I'm glad. Um, So do you guys want to hear one of the craziest stories from the life of Sean McEntee? Yes? Okay. So, not a jet ski story. Those are great, though. Um, I crashed a jet ski into a tree once. We'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> in the water, yes. Um, so, I have not lived, you know, before I became a Christian, I didn't live a very eventful life. Um, but coming to know Jesus, uh, some pretty cool stuff, pretty crazy stuff happened. And so, this story, I was 20 years old, uh, college student, just like a lot of y'all, at Sam Houston State. And so, Archi Alpha, we had this uh, outreach that was called Cat Cab. All right, it's pretty cool. You know it's cool because it's spelled with a K, not a C. Um, and so what Cat Cab was, was we would go as, as a group, and we'd stand outside of the two bars in town. There was only two, Shenanigans and the Jolly Fox. Um, yes, and they called it Shenasties, so that tells you. Uh, but we would go and stand outside, and the way it would work is we would stand outside, and we'd offer people rides home because the clubs weren't close to the university, and there was also a lot of just older people that would go. And so we'd offer people rides and say, hey, the way it worked is if I had a partner, or I would have a partner that was a girl, and so if a girl came out, then my partner would say, hey, can I give you a ride? And she would drive their car home with them in it. I would follow in my car so that I could take her back, right? So we wanted to get people home safe in their own cars, so they didn't have to leave them. And so I'm doing cat cab one night, it's like two in the morning, and this guy, I, it's this, this Mexican guy, he's probably like 30, and I said, hey, can I give you a ride home? And he's like, oh yeah, sweet. And so he's got this like nice BMW, and so I said, hey, where do you live? And he said, Taco Bell. And I was like, what? And he said, no, I, I wanna go to Taco Bell. And so we didn't have a rule that said you couldn't take people to go get food, so I took him to Taco Bell. Um, and he ordered like nine tacos, uh, and he was hungry, right? And then I said, okay, where do you live? And he said, Estel. And that doesn't mean anything to y'all. Charles is laughing. Um, Estel, in my understanding, was a dorm on campus, but it was an all-girls dorm. So I was like, Estel? Like the dorm? He says, no, 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 Estel. And I was like, well, where's that at? And he said, just, I'll just point the way. And so I did not know this at the time until I dropped him off. Estel is a prison where he works, and it was like 30 minutes away. And so, and he just kept saying, I'll just point the way. And I was like, okay. So we're driving. He's eating his tacos. I kid you not, every taco he finished, he'd roll his window down and throw the trash out and then roll it up. Did that like nine times. Uh, I didn't say anything because I was like, I don't know what to say, you know. Uh, and so he, he asked the question that every single person asked. He said, why are y'all doing this? Like, what are y'all doing this for? I said, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love you. I just want to make sure you get home safe. Um, and he's just like, wow. And then he says, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, are there things that God can't forgive you for? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I mean, I've done some pretty bad stuff in my life. Will God forgive me for those things? And I'm like, yeah, you know, God, you know, if you repent, like God loves you and you believe in him and, and you walk in faith, then you're like, yeah, he, he, he'll, he'll forgive you. And he just kept asking, oh, I mean, he kept the same question, but, but I've done some bad stuff. Can God forgive me? I was like, yes. And then 
there's this like moment, we're about 20 minutes into the car ride, and he gets really quiet, and then he says, what if I killed someone? Would God forgive me for that? Crazy. I'll come back to my story. I promise I'll finish it. I promise I will finish it. I promise. Don't boo. <laughs> That's not nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do feel it's important right from the get-go. Y'all, this message tonight is a challenging message. All right? It's, it's going to be a challenging message. I believe that this message is going to challenge our current idea about God, right? It's going to challenge us. We're going to learn something new about God that we have not yet known and about ourselves tonight. And the reason I believe it's going to be challenging is because, I mean, honestly, we're in this letter series. We're reading Paul. Everything he said was pretty challenging. So if, you're with, if you've been with us, we've been going through this letter series, right? When we went through Galatians, I mean, it, I, I hope you all read it with us. If you read Galatians, Paul is like, kind of savage. Like, he is intense. He challenges them. He calls them out. But then he also wants to restore them. He wants them to know Jesus, right? And then in Philippians, I mean, if you've been following with us, Christopher and, and Heather, when they preach, like, this is some challenging stuff, right? He's not afraid to challenge people. Paul wasn't afraid of speaking the truth in love. He wasn't intimidated by the fact that people might misunderstand him, right? And, and he sure as heck wasn't uh, afraid to challenge our current ideas about God because he knew, and his whole point was that he wanted people to have a bigger view of God, right? And so the verse that we're reading tonight is just one of those, it's one of those passages that is challenging, but that God, uh, that Paul wrote with the intent of having, helping us to have a bigger view of God. And so that verse is Philippians 2, 12 through 13, and this is what it says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act or, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation. Now, I am fairly confident that most of y'all in this room have heard of this verse before and have probably gone, I'm just going to keep reading. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And if at the very least you haven't heard of this verse, then you've probably heard of the question of, of works versus faith, right? Um, and if for some reason you've never heard of that, then I promise your life attests to that, right? So we, there's just something that's ingrained in us as humans um, that kind of feels this uh, I do something, and I deserve rewards for it, right? That, that when I do good, I deserve some kind of reward. And that's just like in us. Um, but when it comes to salvation, biblical salvation, being with Jesus forever, this question has a, a much more weighty answer to it, right? It's got much more significance to it. So do we earn our salvation or is our salvation by faith and grace, right? So when Paul says, continue to work out your salvation, what is he talking about? Does he mean that we're supposed to save ourselves, right? That, that we are supposed to work out our salvation as a kind of as a reflection of that, that part of us that believes in like rewards for doing good. Is that just a reflection of the reality of salvation? Or if it's not, 
a question of, you know, that we save ourselves by our works, does he mean that we maintain our salvation by works? Is that what he's saying? Right? If salvation or maintaining your salvation is based on works, then does faith even have a place? Does that just make Jesus' death null and void? If we can save ourselves, then why did Jesus have to die? Or on the other hand, if salvation is by faith and faith only, then does it matter how we live our lives? Does it really matter how we live our lives if it's only just a mental ascent? We just have to believe, right? Does it, does it matter how I live my life before and after I walk with God? Does that affect my relationship? Because if it doesn't, then why in the world does Paul tell us to continue to work out our salvation, right? Can faith in God and works for God be compatible with each other? Or is Paul just kind of spouting some nonsense, right? Or does he see something that we don't see yet? Or is this something that really doesn't fit in with the Bible? What does it really mean to continue to work out your salvation? Now, those are a lot of big questions, right? That's like some big questions. Um, But I think if we're going to answer this question of what is Paul trying to say here, then we got to start with, it's a very simple question, but it's, it's the question, and it's one of the ones I asked. Are we saved by anything we do, or are we saved by grace through faith? Now this, again, it seems like a basic question, right? A lot of y'all have probably heard this before, but the gospel hinges on the answer to this. The gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, the most transformative event in all of history was when God became a man, and then he lived among his creation, and then he died for sinners, and then he rose again, conquering death, hell, sin, and the grave. But here is the kicker. Here is the part that sets Christianity, that sets Jesus apart. It's that in all of this, through all of this, God was under no obligation to do so. God never had to do what he did. God became like us so that we could become like him. He opened a way for there to be a restored relationship. He gave us an opportunity for new life and new hope. And yet, God did not have to do what he did. He was not forced into his actions. He was not obligated. He was not bound by some ethereal force. There was not and is not and never will be anything in us that merits or deserves God reaching out to us and saving us. But the beauty of the gospel and the appeal of Jesus is that even though we did not deserve it, God still offered it. But for as much as grace and mercy are offered, as much as God has literally done anything and everything he can do to set up this for us, at the end of the day, you and I still have to respond. We still have to respond. At the end of the day, it is on us, not God. He has done everything on his side, and we have to respond. Now, if you're tracking with me, you realize this posts another big question, a really big question, and it's this. Is our response to God a form of works? Is you responding, a form of works, thereby something where you save yourself? 
That's a big question. But the simple answer and the biblical answer is that no, it is not an act of works. But it is necessary that you respond. And this is why. Because even if God responded, even if we respond to God, He isn't under any obligation. I just said it, right? God is not obligated to save you. Listen, if God told you to climb to the roof of the church and stand there at midnight in your underwear and pray the Lord's Prayer backwards three times, and that's how you'll be saved, even if you did that, He still doesn't have to save you. He is not obligated to do it just because you go and do what He said. Even if we do exactly what He says, our actions, our response does not have the power to change us. Only God's Spirit can change you. But our response is necessary. If, let me, if, if you're struggling with that, let me give you an illustration. Um, so straight out that door, if you just keep walking, you will hit the Mon River, right? Not a very pretty river, but for the sake of this illustration, let's pretend that the Mon River is like a Category 5, like whitewater rapids, okay? Like, it's just a roaring river, all right? And then our buddy Ben here, Ben Radenheimer, good-looking man, he is just walking along the rail trail one day. He's looking out, and he hears someone yelling out, help, help. So he goes over, and he sees a man out in the mon drowning, right? And this is raging waters, not our tame mon. Raging waters. And he's like, help, and he's got these big old bags of money in his hand, and and he's like just you know, barely keeping his head up. And Ben, being the resourceful young man that he is, pulls out a rope, right? And he throws this rope out, holding the, uh, the other end, obviously. And he's like, grab the rope. And the guy goes, but my money. He says, dude, you'll die. Let go of your money and grab the rope. So he lets go and he grabs the rope. And then strong young man that Ben is, he, I mean, he just... One big tug. He pulls the guy in, right? Now, he pulls him in. Good job, Ben. Give it up for Ben. (laughs) Now, here's this. Will any sane person say that the drowning man saved himself? No. Every news station, every, every... you know, radio station, every newspaper, everyone in Morgantown is going to be talking about how Ben saved this guy's life by pulling him in. But the reality is, is that if every single one of us was standing on the edge with Ben and we all threw out a rope, that man was not going to be saved until he grabbed the rope. We could not make him grab it. It was up to him to grab it. But he didn't save himself. We, ben pulled him in. Ben did all the work. You guys, our response is necessary, but it is not the means of salvation. Jesus is. He is the one who reshapes our heart. He is the one who gives us new life and new hope. It's the same thing that the Apostle John said in, in John 1, 11 and 12. He said, He, Jesus, came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That word receive isn't just a mental ascent. Those who grabbed on and said, I'm going here with you. Now, I know there are some of you in your seat, and you're probably like, wow, I've never heard the gospel put in this way. And then there's others of you who are probably more cynical like me, and you're going, yeah, Sean, I've heard this all before. What's, you know, it's basic. This is, yeah, we've all heard this. 
But let me challenge you in this. If you are like me in messages like this, and you're saying, I've already heard this before, then I wonder how impactful the gospel has really been in your life. If this gospel message doesn't floor you, if it doesn't stir something up in you, if it doesn't create wonder and awe and cause you to live your life differently, and if it's just another, oh, it's just another one of those sermons, then has it really changed you? Whether this is the first time you've heard it or the thousandth, if this gospel doesn't do something in you, stir you up, then has it really changed you? Y'all, that's the whole point of the message tonight. And that's the whole point of what Paul is saying in this verse. The whole point is this. Does your life reflect that you've actually been changed? Does your life reflect that you've actually been changed? Paul never once preached that you are saved by your works. Even though we have to respond, God is the one who does the saving work. God is the one who reshapes our heart. God is the one who remolds it into the, his fashion. God is the one who gives us new life and new hope. So when Paul says, continue to work out your salvation, he's not talking about saving yourself. He's not even talking about maintaining your salvation. What he's saying is this, live your life like you've actually been changed because you have been changed. Live your life like you've been changed because you have been changed. So going back to the story, I'll finish it now. I'm sitting in the front seat of this BMW driving this drunk guy home, and he just asked me, what if I killed someone? Can God forgive me for that? Now, I'll be honest, um, my first thought was what many of y'all's was, and I thought, oh my goodness, uh, I'm in a car with a murderer going to a location I still don't know. I hope he doesn't kill me. That was, like, that was my thought. So I'm being honest with y'all. But I got over that pretty quickly because it was evident that God was trying to do something in this moment, right? And so he asked me this question, and I was not quick to answer because the Lord started doing something in me. And everything I had just been saying for the past 20 minutes, right, he'd ask these questions. I gave him the general Christian answer. All of a sudden, that was challenged. And now I was like, do I actually believe that what I've been saying is for this guy? When it got real, and I realized that I was sitting two feet from someone who'd killed another person, and he couldn't make sense of his guilt, that's when I realized that the gospel was real, either real and could change his life, like he changed mine, or it was just a joke. And so I began to tell him about my life. And I began to tell him about the things God had forgiven me for. And yeah, I haven't killed anyone. But my sin just as much separated me from God as his. And so I began to tell him about the freedom that I had in Jesus and the joy that I had in knowing I was forgiven. And I shared the gospel with him, the gritty gospel, the gospel about a God who got in the mud to lift us out, right? And, and, and I told him my story. And I didn't just give him the like, oh, yeah, God loves you. Like, just do this. You're fine. Like, no, it got real. And I was like, look, God has radically transformed my life. And he can do the same in yours. 
Now, I wish the story ended with me, like, you know, him getting on his knees and, and giving his life to Jesus, but he was intoxicated. He wasn't in his right mind, and I wasn't going to do that to him. I wasn't going to make him make some decision he wasn't fully able to. But you better believe that when I got home, I hit my knees, and I said, Jesus, I pray he wakes up and remembers that, and I pray he gets right with you. And it's still my prayer that one day I will get to heaven, and I'll see him there. That's been my prayer for this guy. I don't know his name. But the thing I walked away from with that car ride and that changed my life was that I was faced with a moment where I could share with him that my life had actually been changed. And I could share that with him. and I could tell him about it. Or I could just give him some like cheap answer so that I wasn't so uncomfortable. I learned in that car ride that to work out my salvation meant to live my life like it had actually been changed, and then to share that and tell him that the same is true for him. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Philippians. One of the most important things we got to realize about this letter is that Paul is writing to Christians already, people that are already saved. And he knew the tendency of us as people to just kind of get complacent and content we're at. You know, we were like, look, I got saved X number of years ago. Like, I got my flu shot, my sin flu shot, my fire insurance. I'm, I'm good, you know. But friends, that's not the life Jesus has called us to, and that's not a life Paul ever would have condoned. If you just look at the verse again, he's pretty much saying this, look, when you guys were with me, you were on fire for Jesus, and that's awesome. You were obedient to the things I asked of you, and people knew that you were followers of Jesus. But you have to hear this. You can't just be that way when I'm around. And you can't just be that way for a short season of your life. What I'm calling you to is a radical life sold out for Jesus where you live in the reality that you have been changed. And I want to say the same thing to us tonight. If I were to change the verse to us, here at WVU Chi Alpha, you guys have been on fire for Jesus. And people know that Jesus is present. But you can't just be that way on Thursday night. And you can't just be that way for your four years in college. What Jesus is calling you to is a radical life sold out to him where for the rest of your lives, long, long after you've left WVU Chi Alpha, you will live your life in a way that shows the world, I am not the same and I will never be the same again. To work out our salvation is to live like we have actually been changed because we have been changed. Does your life reflect that you've actually been changed? And if not, then maybe an even more important question that needs to be asks, asked is, have you actually been changed? I want to give you one more illustration before we come to a response time. Um, so any of y'all in this room, did any of y'all grow up doing gymnastics? Oh, sweet. Cool. For the rest of y'all that didn't raise your hand, have you at least watched gymnastics in the Olympics? Okay, so if you know anything about gymnastics, there are um, a handful of events. One of those events is the balance beam, right? The balance beam is pretty nuts. So I'm actually going to come down here, um, and this is going to be my balance beam. So also, if it offends you that I'm standing on the pew, I'm Sorry. Uh, I'm going to do it, though. So, imagine this is the balance beam, all right? I won't break my other arm. Uh, so, 
for this illustration, right, so the balance beam is our life. It's walking out, working out our salvation, okay? And so just imagine that you guys, right, we've been invited to join God's team and to represent him at the world's greatest stage, right? And your event is the balance beam, right? And so you get up here and you're like, man, like God asked me to be a part of his team and, and he wants me to represent him in front of everyone, but man, it's kind of scary up here. And you know, the balance beam takes like a lot of risk and it takes a lot of courage. And so you're just like, I don't know if I really want to do this. And so what a lot of Christians do is this is what their life looks like. They say, God, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to do this. So I'm just going to get down like this. And I'm just going to be safe right here. And this is what a lot of Christians look like. And they just say, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be a nice person, except for when people are mean to me, then I don't know. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and Kyle on Thursday and small group, but I won't say anything because it just matters that I go. And, uh, you know, I'm going I'm to put my head down at work and, and hopefully people will know that I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to say anything because, you know, that's scary. Um, and, you know, I'm going to give 1%. Um, unless I want to go to eat, then maybe not. Um, you know, and then our greatest prayer in life is this. So many Christians, God, would you just let me die in my sleep? I just want to die in my sleep. And so what we want to do is we just want to like slide off and ease on into heaven. And then we get to heaven and we go like this. I mean, can you imagine being at the Olympics and seeing someone do that? What is the judge supposed to do? But, but what I see is so many Christians, that's the routine of their life. The boring, I don't take any risks for Jesus. I don't do anything bold. I don't reflect that my life has been changed because I don't want to fall. And that's the routine of so many people. But the, the shock, the utter shock is going to be that one day they're going to wake up and they're going to be standing before the judge. And what's he going to say? Is he going to be like, man, well done. Well done. You, you didn't do anything. Uh, you know, you lived the safest life. You didn't fall. You didn't hurt yourself. You didn't disqualify yourself. I mean, that wasn't a dis DQ, but you didn't do anything. That's not the life Jesus has called us to. And there's a vast majority of people that that's sadly what their life is going to look like. But I don't want to be a part of that, and I don't want you guys to either. Jesus has invited us to be a part of his team and to represent his name at the greatest stage in front of everyone. And it should be an honor, and it should be a privilege and a joy to risk it for him. To, to, to step out and say, you know what? That's scary. My legs were shaking. You saw it. But Jesus, you're worth it. And I'm going to live my life like I've actually been changed because you've changed me. The worship team can go ahead and come back up. And we're going to move to a response. And there's two responses that I have tonight for two different groups of people. The first group are those of you in this room 
who don't know Jesus and don't profess to be a follower of Jesus. And the response that I want to call you to tonight is this. Grab the rope. Grab on to that rope. God has made a way for you to find freedom from your sin and freedom from your guilt and freedom from your anxiety, freedom from your pride, freedom from your selfishness, freedom from your depression, from your misery, from your bondage. God has made a way, but you have to grab the rope. And realize this. God did not have to throw that rope. Your sin, just as much as mine, rightly separates you from God. And in his justice and holiness, he is under no obligation to throw it out there. But he did. And he does. And realize this too, that when you grab onto it, it's not, or realize this, it's not a magic rope, right? God doesn't force you into it. He's not going to throw a net over you and drag you in and force you in. He gives you the dignity to choose or not to grab onto it. But remember this. Even though he does not have to, he will pull you in and he will save you. I know that to be true. He does not have to, but he will. And then, when you do, live your life in gratitude. Don't jump back in the water. Live your life in gratitude. Walk out the reality that Jesus has changed you. And then for those of you in the room who are believers, call yourselves followers of Jesus, then the response I'm calling to you is to ask one question. It's not a fun one, but it's needed. God, are you pleased with how I live my life for you? Are you pleased with how I live my life for you? It's one thing to ask ourselves, do I live my life in a way that's pleasing to God? It's another thing to ask him yourself, are you pleased with me? Y'all, we, don't, we can't settle with what we think. We need to hear from Jesus. I told you at the beginning, I really do believe Jesus is going to speak to every one of you. And this is what I mean. We're not asking, do I? We're asking, Jesus, are you pleased? I'm not saying these things because I'm trying to scare you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I am trying to challenge you. I want you to see that Jesus is worth living your life differently because of what he's done. He did not have to do any of this. All of us rightly do not deserve to be with him, and yet he's made a way. So he's worth living our lives changed. Friends, we aren't working to earn our salvation. We're not working to maintain our salvation. We are working to please our king who saved us, even though he didn't have to. I've asked the band to just play softly for a few minutes before we start singing, because I want you guys to really press into Jesus. It's easy to just start singing and not think about these things. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, then please grab onto the rope and trust that Jesus really will pull you in. And if you're a Christian, then ask God, are you pleased with how I live my life for you? And if he says yes, then don't get content. Don't be like, oh man, I'm good. I don't got to do anything. No. Say, Jesus, I want to live even more on fire for you. I want to take more risks for you. And ask him to show you that. And if he says no, 
then repent. Say, I'm sorry, Jesus. I have not represented you well. But would you walk with me? And would you open my eyes to see how I can live boldly for you so that people know that my life has been changed? And as we respond, I just encourage you, some of y'all, this may be uncomfortable, but I encourage you to kneel down at your seat, up at the altar, over in the big old room over there, to kneel down physically, get on your knees, and seek Jesus. And I really do believe with everything in me that he is going to speak to you. We need to hear from him. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from him. And that's what this time is. Amen? So when the worship team plays, as they play, would you respond to Jesus now?